It is now our privilege and honor to have Roseanne speak. Thank you. As I said, I am Roseanne, a very grateful compulsive overeater. And uh, <clears throat> the original request was for me to do the history of OA. However, how many of you have read Beyond Our Wildest Dreams? Oh, I could kiss you all. <laughs> but for those of you who haven't, this is the history of OA written when my mind was clear and <laughs> functioning. And it, it ends in 1994 when we established Region 10. And so I hope that you'll get it. Uh, everything is in here. My rewriting of the, uh, of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions and my rewriting of the big book, which I sent off to the World Service, uh, to the General Service Office of AA. Don't, it's all in here. <laughs> And um, at any rate, that, so I'm not going to do the history tonight <clears throat> because everything you want to know is here. Uh, I also encourage you, I was on the committee that wrote uh, the intro to Dignity of Choice, and I think we did one of the best jobs possible. And I urge you, since I was part of the writing team, I'm willing to sign that one too. Uh, I, I sign anything in OA that I've written. I put my hand in yours and, and Beyond Our Wildest Dreams and all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> I would like to talk. Who's timing me? Uh, will you give me 10 to 5? Um, I want to talk about myself, what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now in the 15 minutes that I have. Uh, I ate uh, for the same reasons that everybody else ate joy and happiness and sorrow and depression and it, it, it did, really didn't matter. I ate, I ate, I ate, I ate. Uh, when we first started OA, I was 5'3", uh, no 5'2", I was three inches taller. I was 5'2", I was 30 years old, my baby, I still had one baby in diapers. Now her son is getting a learner's permit, so. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Um, I maintained uh, a 55 to 60 pound weight loss in OA for many years. And then I, I started out at 161. I got down to 118. And, and I stayed there for a long time. And then the doctor put me on Ellaville in 1972 and I gained 40 pounds, just like that. And so another doctor caught it and I had to come off of it and then I lost that weight. When my husband, how many of you knew Marv? Uh, well, then you do have to share my memories. Marvin, my husband Marvin, was always staunchest supporter. He diapered babies when I had to run out. I had phone calls. He, he, just, he just did everything. When Marv died five and a half years ago, I fell apart. Um, I ended up having a breast cancer and cataract surgery plus four identity thefts, which we won't go into. And, um, and then finally I ended up at Salience, which was the psych ward, the psych arm of Cedar sinai At that time, they put me on an antidepressant. Uh, I wasn't eating at all. 
And uh, they put me on an antidepressant, which put 45 pounds on me in six weeks. I had never seen anything like that. I have since lost 25 of those pounds. And uh, it's going to take me probably some time to get the rest off, but it's coming off. Um, then in the last year, I want to talk about the steps and my powerlessness and my belief that God can restore me to sanity and to health so that I can, uh, so that I can um, be uh, a witness for you of what, has, what this program can do. All through this time, since last January, when I broke my wrist, dislodged my shoulder, I have an injured right knee uh, from arthritis, and I've just had my second epidural shot in my spine. I have, uh, uh, what do you call it, spinal stenosis. Um, all through this period, I never, never broke my abdomen. I never ate. And I would wake up, as I have done for 45 years, every morning, by saying the first three steps, admitting my powerlessness, making a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. That's the one I took step three out of in the beginning. Um, and uh, turning my, making a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. And then I say the third step prayer and I do some reading. And I've done this for, for all these years. I also want to teach you what my first sponsor taught me because it has been so helpful to me and it was helpful tonight. I haven't, I haven't spoken at an OA conference in several years. I've just been too plain sick to do any speaking or any traveling or any, anything so that tonight... I wasn't sure I could make it, and I've had a, a wonderful friend who has said, just let God talk through you, and everything will be okay. Uh, so this is the first time that I've talked in front of a group, a large group of OA people in years, and I want to come back to this. Uh, I thought I never would. I thought that I was sick and emotionally, physically, spiritually everything. Well, I'm walking without crutches, uh, just with a cane and sometimes without a cane. Um, but, and my eating plan changed some as I went along with these illnesses. Uh, I have a, a, an oncology nutritionist at St. John's and I was helped in that, <coughs> in that line of, of work. Um, but I have such gratitude I have such gratitude because it has been a bear for the last five and a half years. Every single day I cry for my husband, every day. And yet I have people to call. I have meetings to go to. I go to a meeting almost every night. And Serenity Sunday, let's not forget Serenity Sunday. <laughs> and uh, I have people who will guide me. I have the 12 steps. I have the eight tools. I have everything, everything has been given to me to help bring me out. I just didn't know it was going to take so long. A week from today, 
will be my 76th birthday. And I started out, we have a newcomer here who flew in from Arizona, and she's 30 years old. And I looked at her and I thought, that's, except, except that my hair was darker, that's what I looked like. I can't believe it. And when I said to someone, what happens? How do I ever get here? Some wonderful person in a meeting said, one day at a time. <laughs> but I want to emphasize the 12 steps. The fellowship is wonderful. The phone calls are wonderful. But the program is in the 12 steps in the simple plan outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. The 12 steps, the 12 traditions, and everything that is, that is encompassed in those. And it's those things, those items, items, sounds like our president when he says those folks. I'm not, I'm not getting into politics. That's an outside enterprise. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Um, but uh, it is those, those items, the, the 12 steps, 12 traditions, and everything else I've mentioned, that have, and God, and God as I understand him, that's first, that have supported me through what I think has been the worst five and a half years of my life. Marv and I were a team. We were friends, and we were a team, and we were lovers, and we were everything. And his death was very sudden. And uh, I haven't gotten over it yet. And I may never, or I may. And if there's anybody here who is looking for a 76-year-old woman, come and let me know. I didn't say my mind was closed, you understand. <laughs> um, but I want to encourage you, above all, above everything, to keep coming back. That's the thing that saved me all these years, is that I never, never left OA through the, the, the various weight gains, through the two weight gains when, when the medication was given to me, through uh, all the illnesses that I've had, through Mars death, through everything. Um, I never stopped coming. And I know there are people here who stopped and decided to try to do it themselves and then came back. How much time do I have? <laughs> Thank you. I have five minutes. And so uh, I want to thank all of you uh, uh, as a group for supporting me. I was so scared to talk tonight because I haven't done it in so long. And I, I have a, my dear friend Roz who said, just ask God what he wants you to say and then say it. And she's been breathing that into my ear all night. <laughs> and so I did. I did. And what my sponsor taught me originally, that I forgot about this, was to put myself in one hand and the situation or the fear or the anger or what, whatever it is in the other hand and toss it up to God. And there is something so freeing about that gesture. Um, I am not happy that I am not all the way down in my way. 
but there is nothing I can do but what I'm doing. Uh, I am in physical ther rehab therapy now to try to clear up some of these problems, and I think that that will help. Um, I weigh and measure my food. Um, I, count, I mostly count my calories. Uh, I'm 4 feet 11, so I really have to watch what goes into my mouth. But I also have to watch what goes into my heart and my soul and my mind as well as my body. And I think there are people here who have been so um, encouraging to me, shabby, when you, when you supported me when I was having the epidural block. And I've mentioned Ross and many, many, Sandy and many other people that I've known for years. This program is a blessing. I didn't think I would ever be able to speak in front of an OA group again. I've been so sick. And yet, here I am. And, and I think I'm going to end with something. I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a sense of, hope, of hopelessness no longer most, must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for power and strength greater than ours. And as we, as we reach out, we find... Thank you. That's a senior moment. Thank you. in the program have speakers that we inspire us every time we hear them and I have some favorite men's front, uh, speakers and I have some favorite women speakers and tonight we get to hear one of my favorite men's speakers Carol My name is Charles. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, numbers. Let's get those out of the way because it's very important, especially for the newcomers and those of you who've been around for a while. My top weight is somewhere around 300 and 325 pounds. Um, I'm passing on a picture. It's uh, kind of display of what I used to be like. Please make sure that picture gets back to me. Um, and I have 26 years of abstinence. Um, It's a humbling experience to speak at a convention like this. A humbling experience. Um, I get to share my story. And I get to tell you what, what you folks did for me. And that is so humbling. Because I know of what I do on my own willpower. I just screw things up. I just screw them up. Anyway, <coughs> a little brief history of what it was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. What it was like 
was, uh, I was a fat kid. I come from an alcoholic family. And uh, there's heroin addiction, there's incest, there's abuse, there, you name the, the ism. Any way this, the, the ism can take manifestation of, it happened. It happened in my family. And I always say that I, I, um, from the get-go, I was always destined for a 12-step program, insanity, or, the gay, uh, or death. And that's what was, that was my destiny when I was born. Because of the family I, I was born into, um, I had no other choice. Um, the good news is I didn't have to go out and shoot heroin. Um, I guess that's the good news because I discovered fudgesicles at an early age. <laughs> and I discovered, um, I discovered how food took the edge off. I discovered what food did to me at a very early age. And at that early age, it was, life just became like I didn't exist when I was eating. And that's what I wanted. I didn't want to be Terrell. I did not want to be in my family. I did not want to be who I was. I did not want to be anything that had to do with Terrell. And by eating, it blotted out the brain. And that's why I ate. Not because it tasted good. Not because my mama made it. Not because of anything. But because of what it did to me. I ate for the effect. And I still get the effect. I will, I'm a compulsive reader. A good Mexican dinner will take the edge off. You know? You know, sometimes, um, right now, I'm on a commitment to no carbs. My, oh, my absence for the past 26 years has been uh, no sugar and no flour. Um, and when I say flour, that means bran, oatmeal, couscous, um, you know, just whatever. It's, you know, uh, by the grace of God, I can get by with rice and corn. I barely buy it, you know. I don't, I'm just, for the next couple of weeks, I'm not going to be eating that. But anyway, um, and the reason why that is my, that is my absence, because I'm hopelessly addicted to them. I am hopelessly addicted to those. I don't care whether you can or cannot eat sugar, whether you can or cannot eat flour. It doesn't make any difference to me, but it sure makes a big difference to me, what I eat. And I can't eat those things like a gentleman. And the funny thing is, if I eat one, I obsess about them for the rest of the day. You know, I have, like I said, I good Mexican meal. You know, I can obsess about Mexican meal for a long time, about when I'm going to go eat it, about when I'm, well, I'm eating it, because maybe I shouldn't be eating it. And after I ate it, I ate too much. But that's nothing compared to the obsession that kicks in when I eat a German chocolate cake. You know, German co- chocolate cake is takes take, take me there. Anyway, <clears throat> I came into program in 1973. Um, and I was, I was beaten. I was beaten by food. I was, my stepfather was berating me because I was a fat-ass kid and I had no friends and all I did was lay around the house, eat and watch TV. Um, and he would just, and I would just be in tears. And I was embarrassed and ashamed of my very existence. I would, I would walk around my high school campus with my head bowed because I did not want to, grace, I did not want to curse you with my presence. Because I know if you were seen talking to me or being sitting next to me that you would be a subject to ridicule like I was. You might not have been called Terrell the Barrel, but you would have been called something else because you associated with me. 
the good news is <laughs> the miracle of this program is in uh, five weeks or six weeks, I turn 50 years old, and I am going to be going on an Alaska cruise, a gay Alaska cruise. Um, a, gay, a gay cruise going to Alaska. with 20 of my friends who are popping and putting down a lot of change to come with me. Things have changed. Things have changed a lot. But anyway, so that's where you folks found me. And when I walked in the doors of Orvis Anonymous in 1973, there was not, there was very few men. I'm very lucky in my home group, it's sometimes we have 50-50. It can be like half men, half women. And there's like a, could be 70 people at this meeting. And so it's, it's, a, it's wonderful that I have this home group that I can do this with. But what happened when I came in, it was a lot of women, a lot of housewives, and I'm a 17-year-old kid, and, and I just didn't quite get it. But at my first meeting, this man got up and said he had lost 100 pounds at his first meeting. And by hearing that, it gave me hope. And that's what this program offers us, is hope that says, you don't ever have to binge again. You don't ever have to be above your normal body weight again. This program works, guaranteed to work. And so when I heard that man say he lost 100 pounds, it gave me that glimmer of hope because I never, I never even possibly dreamed at 17 years old, 300 plus pounds, that I would ever be a normal body size. But hearing that, it gave me what I uh, gave me the hope, so I knew folks hooked me with that. You seduced me with weight loss. You know, you seduced me with weight loss, and so let me seduce you with weight loss. I have been in this program, and I've maintained a normal body size for over twenty for twenty six years. It can happen, and don't let anyone don't let anyone fool you. So at that, so as that, so I became a member. Well, I started going over to Anonymous, but I went to a meeting a week for moral support, whether I really needed it or not. <laughs> you know, just because I would, I would drop in because I liked hearing about weight loss. I didn't need the steps there for my sick alcoholic parents. Um, I couldn't write a fourth step because that means I had to come out of the closet, and I just could never do that. That was like my deep dark secret. I could never tell nobody so. Um, I. I, I just knew I couldn't work the steps. But she folks offered me a gray sheet of paper. And on that gray sheet of paper, there was a food plan. And I worked that food plan real good. I lost 125 pounds in about five months on that gray sheet of paper. Now, by not working the steps and doing a drop-in every week, for, you know, doing a little drop-in, I always say there's a difference, you know, if you're visiting us and just being a tourist, if you want to come and just get you like a little once a week shot of program, that's what you get. A week, a week shot of program. Because you know, it takes coming in and having your brain washed. It took my brain being washed. Um, so I didn't work the program, but I worked a food plan. Food plans are not the answer. Diets are not the answer. But I worked that food plan. And, uh, but since I didn't deal with those things that make me seek excess food in the first place, I had no choice but to go eat again. And I got back up to about 250 pounds after I got down to 175. And <clears throat> I remember I was stuffing my face, thinking to myself, 
I can lose weight. See, I've lost uh, 125 pounds. I can lose weight any time now. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to lose weight. Well, I'm sitting, gaining, I'm going up a weight, convincing myself that I can lose weight. I know it's kind of crazy talk that goes inside this head, but that's what I was telling myself. Don't worry about it. You can lose weight. You can lose weight. Um, what happened was, they say you're as sick as your secrets, and I dealt with that deep, dark secret of being gay, and I came out of the closet. And I'm a firm believer that, that most everyone in this room meets over their sexuality. Whatever your sexuality is, sexuality to me kind of takes that body image, intimacy, interpersonal relationships, sexual, I mean, it takes all that, wraps up one little ball called sexuality or interpersonal relationships, and that's what I was, one of the things I was eating over. And I came out of the closet, and I discovered the wonderful world of fasting. See, you folks, see, when I was on that meeting a week for moral support, I learned a few things from you folks. One of the things you folks taught me was, it's not the hundredth bite that puts the weight on, it's the first. If you don't take that first bite, you know, you'll be safe. Well, I if I didn't take that first bite all day long, I was safe. Because I have this very clear image of being safe from food. Now, I know normal people do not have this image of being safe from food, but I, if I don't pick it up, I'm safe. I'm safe. Because, and I, ugh, God, it was horrible. It was just horrible. But I got down to 160 pounds on what I call my donut diet. And my donut diet is we don't eat anything all day long except nine or ten donuts at night. <laughs> and you would never, I would never eat a dozen donuts because if you eat a dozen donuts, it makes you a compulsive overeater. <laughs> we all have those rules, don't we? I'm not one yet because, see, I haven't eaten now the garbage. Or I ha I'm not a compulsive because I only eat nine or ten donuts. I don't eat a dozen at one time. We all have those rules. And so I am, um, and I'm a dyed-in-the-world donut junkie. Dyed-in-the-world donut junkie. And I'll tell you why I'm a donut junkie. And it, I, I didn't really, I didn't put, come up with this. I was listening to, to a drug addict talk about speedballing. What speedballing is, is you take heroin and mix it with speed and shoot it up. And I'm thinking, man, that's crazy. You've got an upper and you got a downer? That just like doesn't make sense at all. And then I had to take it back to me. And what I do with sugar, when I eat sugar, I get all amped up with sugar, you know, I get really wired and so forth. You get eat so much sugar, you like a lot of sugar, and you just, you know, you start drinking milk because you love off the sugar because you just got, you want to eat more sugar, but you're so crazy because you eat so much sugar. And you just, Maybe you don't get as crazy as I do, like, like shaky crazy. And you take flour, which to me makes me very lethargic. If I eat bread, I just want to take a nap. You know what? I, no, like, I just want to take a nap. I get lethargic. But if you take that sugar and you take the bread, mix it together, throw in some hot grease, pull it out of that hot grease and coat some more sugar, it gets to this point where we go, hmm, not too high. Not too low. And that's what I did with donuts. And that's why I'm, don that's why I'm a donut junkie. Because they never got me too far in any one direction. I just keep me level. And that's what I use food for. To keep me level. To numb me out. Chop off the highs. Chop off the lows. Just don't feel. Just be numb walking through the planet. Because I have not, I've yet to meet a composer who enjoyed a feeling. I have yet to meet a compulsive reader who enjoyed an emotion. 
those are those are things that we just don't want to deal with. I like to say that I like to keep my life sanitary. Clean of all exterior, just sanitary. And that's one thing food did for me, made it sanitary. Now, I wasn't sanitary. I didn't shower because I didn't have, a, you know, my body image and all that stuff and get, get really greasy and dirty. But, you know, I try and keep my life sanitary. Um, what happened was um, I, I maintained my weight at 160 pounds. And then I found out by, from a doctor that I was border, borderline hypoglycemic or borderline diabetic. Um, it was an eye doctor being fitted for contact lenses. And he asked me a simple question. He was trying to get my contact lens prescription right because it was just all over the board. And this was back in the days when they had to send out for them. This wasn't back when they, this isn't like now where they go just off the shelf and get, try this one. Oh, no, here, try this. This is where you, they mail it out for it. They send it back in. And the doctor asked me if, I, um, if there was a history of hypoglycemia or diabetes in my family. And I said yes. And he asked me a simple question. He said, Terrell, are you eating sugar? And I lied. I said, a little. <laughs> Nine or ten donuts is not a lot of sugar. A three-pound box of Steve candies is a lot of sugar. But a nine or ten donuts is not a lot of sugar. All right? That, I'm real clear about that. And when I said a little. What happened is he said, he said Terrell, if you don't stop eating sugar, you'll be blind within a year. I then went, proceeded to put on 30 pounds in six weeks, five pounds a week, while I was traveling through Europe, not sitting in front of TV with the curtains drawn, but traveling through Europe, I put on five pounds a week, 30 pounds in six weeks. That's some good eating. That's some real good eating. And I got news for you. It wasn't on French cut green beans. It was on French pastries. And I remember as I stepped in my face, thinking I can still see. And when things start to go gray, that's when I'll stop. So that's where my disease takes me. So I'm willing to sacrifice my eyesight for one more bite of chocolate. Just one more bite. You don't understand how hard it is, how bad it is. I need one more bite of chocolate. I don't care about my eyesight anymore. I want my chocolate more than my eyesight. That's where my disease took me. And I'm very clear the things I'm willing to sacrifice for one more bite. So when I came back from Europe, I was beaten. And I tried to give up sugar in Europe. I had the book Sugar Blues in my, my, my um, suitcase. Didn't touch it because I knew if I opened it, I'd take responsibility. And I wound up in this plaza in Vienna crying, going, please help me. I can't stop eating. I did step one and two, but I didn't call it step one and two. I admitted I was powerless and I was asking for help. And I believe, because I, I was getting very sick from sugar withdrawal. Maybe no one's ever gone through that where you get the shakes and you just feel like you're going to crawl out of your skin because you want to eat. Because you just want to eat and you feel like as if your head's going to explode, your skin's crawling, and you just are dying. Cause you have to, and you know that if you take one bite, you're going to be better. You know if you take one bite, you're going to be better. And I believe my God was merciful because in that Vienna, that after I got up from that um, plaza in Vienna, and I binged the rest of my way through Europe. And I came back in 1978 and I um, 
called my sister, who was in program at the time, um, and said, I need to dry out. We didn't have eating disorder units. I said, I need to kick sugar. I need to dry out. I need, can I come stay, spend a weekend with you? And she said, I've got company here, but I'll take it to a meeting on Sunday. And I went to my first meeting, and it was a moderate meeting, moderate mealer meeting. Now, I'm a grace sheeter. And I had all these reasons why I couldn't do grace sheet. I had a million and one reasons why I couldn't follow my food plan before. But often I went to this meeting, they gave me permission that said, you don't have to do this food plan. You don't have to do it. Just get an absence that works for you. Be honest. It's about honesty. And I was absent. And I, I found a home group. And I was going to my home group. I was going to six, seven meetings a week. I was no longer a tourist. I became a member an active participating member of Overeaters Anonymous. And I went to my, I, and I, uh, I was, my life basically consisted of going to meetings. And, I mean, I would go to work, go to meetings. And then I would um, go to fellowship afterwards. And you know, that, that was pretty much my life for the first five, six, seven years of my life. And I love you babies that complain about this. And I, I you all know, those from L.A. know me. You're a newcomer to have 10 years or less of abstinence. And if you don't believe me, listen to that small voice inside that tells you he's right. Because if you've got three to four years and you're thinking, who does he think he is? Tell me I'm a newcomer. <laughs> who does, who does, listen to that voice. And for those of you in your seventh year of abstinence, bless your heart, I understand. It's really it gets bad at seven and eight. Because I believe at five years of absence, you start buying those press releases that says you're hot shit. That you're, that you know, that you're, look at you, you're getting together, and blah, blah, blah. And you start buying those press releases about everything that you're doing right. And you forgot why you got there that seven years. And the resurgence, the resurgence of the human ego is so strong and so powerful. And I see that happen all the time. So if you're in seven or eight years of absence, bless your heart, baby, don't give up. Hang in there. Hang in there because it is worth the fight. It is worth the surrender. It is worth the willingness. So anyway, I, uh, I, was, I was, like I said, I was an active member of the Anonymous. I was sponsoring. I had a spiritual experience. Um, not, nothing like the heavens parted or anything like that, but just I was walking through this park after a meeting and the small, still voice inside, I heard, I the small, still voice that says, Cheryl, you're going to be okay. And I love you. You have as much, right to, as much right to be here as that tree. And it was the first time in my life I did not feel like I was breathing your air. It was the first time in my life I felt like I had a right to be here and that I was okay. Now, I'm 20-something years old, and it's the first time. And that was my spiritual experience. And I, like I said, I was sponsoring, and I was sponsoring. And after about three to four months of losing that weight that I gained in Europe, I went to my sponsor and said, you know, I'm sick and tired of these rooms full of fat-ass people talking about their problems. I'm sick and tired of these rooms full of, you know, it's these, I'm sick and tired of being told what I can and cannot eat, what I can and cannot eat. I want to be go living my life. On a Friday night, I want to be going dancing with the boys in Palm Springs. I do not want to be sitting in some meeting in Stallion. And my sponsor, because see, I was done with you folks. I was cocky. I, I, had, you know, I didn't need you anymore. My sponsor said some magic words to me. He said, Terrell, remember, you're leaving us. We're not leaving you. 
If everyone come back, we'll be here. And my attitude was, well, thank you for sharing. <laughs> and I remember driving home from my sponsor's house, talking to God, saying, okay, God, you and me, we're going to do it. We're going to go live my life. We're going to have fun. We're going to eat what I want. We're going to go have a blast. We're going to dance with the boys. God, we're going to do this. God, we're going to do this. And I was talking to God all the way from, from Hollywood down to Long Beach, talking to God. Didn't listen once. Not once did I listen. I've learned Sometimes it's best just to listen to God as opposed to talk to God. Because God already hears what I'm thinking and what I know. So I just have to, I don't know what God's thinking and so forth, so I just have to kind of get quiet and listen to that small, still, still voice. And that voice gets louder, by the way, as long as you stay abstinent. Um, what happened was, on January 5th, 1979, I broke my abstinence, and it was on two pieces of toast. That's my last binge, two pieces of toast. I know. Don't judge me for it. <laughs> if I knew that was my last binge, I would have done better. <laughs> but I didn't know. I didn't know. What happened when I ate those two pieces of toast, the obsession with weight came pouring back over me. See, I'm the type of person who wants to have a scale that weighs me in grams because an ounce is too big of a measurement. I, I based my whole being and existence upon how much I weighed. And the scale was always wrong. It was never right. Because if I lost weight, it gave me permission to eat. And if I gained weight, I'm a piece of shit and I should just give it up. So whatever the scale weighed, it gave me permission to eat. I've said... I believe this honest to God. Find that magic number that is going to make you feel like you're a 100% whole human being. And now, poof, you're that number. Can we move on with your life now? Can we get along with the business of living? Now, what happened when I ate that toast, I got obsessed with weight and I got obsessed with uh, the self-obsession came pouring back on. Pouring, and I knew the donuts I was going to go eat at. And I, I hadn't been that donut stand before, but there was pink, and those always they were pink donut stands, and there was this warm glow that came from donut stands. It was like the love just emanating from donut stands, and I was thinking about those donut stands, and I got scared because you folks told me the door will always swing out, but you will never know if the door will swing back in, and the door had just swung out, and I had just lost my absence for a second time, and I was scared that I couldn't do it. And I started praying to God. I said, God, please, I cannot do it one more time. I cannot binge one more time. I cannot do this one more time. God, please help me. Please. And I cried all night. Well, I cried myself to sleep. And I woke up the next morning and called my sponsor and said, I'm back. That was January 6, 1979. So I didn't binge during the 80s. Didn't binge during the 90s. Halfway through, they got zeros. God is good. Now, Let's talk about abstinence and being in this program. It's a journey, baby. It's a journey. Don't think it's a straight line. Okay? It's not a straight line. I went through a surrender last week that was a killer of a surrender. Killer of a surrender. See, I, I'm, I'm a successful businessman. And I've got this great business. I'm very successful. Uncle Sam thinks I'm very much more successful than I think I am. But... Um, 
you know, and, and do you realize I've got, I got to take care of this, and I've got to do all this stuff, and blah, 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 and i got this new car, and I was driving my new car, and, and I wrecked it. Car three weeks, three weeks old. Yep. Didn't see, quite see a curb. Driving, not driving too fast, but just wasn't probably paying attention. Now, I don't have the type of God that, that punishes anyone. But i got news for you. When your self-will run riot, you'd be surprised what you run into. I ran into a curb. Didn't do any body damage. Car still looks 100% good. But front wheel drive, and I hit that front hit rim. That's $900, my front rim. Hit the second, the rear rim. That's another $900. Bent the struts. Did a lot of, like, undercarriage damage. So I'm with a, car, with a rental car for two weeks, and I turned over my insurance. And that, I went, okay, God, I guess I'm sick and tired, whatever. And it was really wonderful because I thought I was going to take care of this car on my own again. See, I was, I'm going to try to live on a cash basis and do all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I had all this, I was going to try and get this, borrow my friend's car. And finally, it got like, okay, it's just unsurmountable. It's getting too high. So I called my insurance. It says, okay, we'll take over from here. We'll get the car picked up. We'll get you a rental car. Walk, you know, the rental car will come pick you up. Blah, blah, blah. It's going to cost you $500. You're dead. Well, thank you very much. And it's like such an analogy for God. But here I am trying to control and manipulate and do all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, and I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take care of my car. I'm going to make sure I'm getting my rental car. I'm going to make sure I'm getting all this. And all I had to do was just call my insurance agent and my insurance company and say, help. I made a mistake. Please help me. $500 later, and they, I walked two blocks to get my rental car. They could pick me up. It was quicker if I walked down to it. I'd upgrade into a Ford Escape. I know I'm driving an SUV. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I drive a Volvo. I don't drive SUVs. But anyway, where was I? Oh, this program has saved my life. Now, if you read our literature, let me put it this way, when you read our literature, because you can't stay in these rooms long enough if you don't read our literature. But when you read our literature, at least when I read our literature, I read about that they're talking about a moral psychic change. That that's what the doctor was trying to was trying to get out of these people. That's what the doctor's opinion talks about. I love the doctor's opinion. It's probably my favorite part of the big book because it talks about this. He's not one of us. He's talking about you guys got a warped brain. You've got this like sense of. Like you have this physical craving and uh, this obsession of the mind that says you're going to eat, and then once you when you get, start eating, the physical addiction kicks in. You have no choice to eat, and then you start feeding the addiction. And it talks about this moral psychic change, which is basically what happened to me. Because see, when I came into this program, I hated you, hated me more, feared you, fear afraid of life. And what you folks said, baby, come on, sit down, shut up, because you don't know nothing. Because what you know got you to 300 plus pounds. What you know has gotten you so scared that you stand in a crowded discotheque with five, you know, with a thousand people afraid to move your little finger. You don't know nothing, baby. Come on in, sit down. Now, be willing to take the ride. And the ride was I had to work this program. Step one was I said I admitted I was powerless over food. Oh, I am powerless over food. And my life is unmanageable. And I, I, answered, I could ask the, answer the question, do I have the relationship I want? No. Do I have the car I want? Mm, well, maybe today I do. Well, it's a rental, but no, you know. 
Do I have the job I want? Well, today I do, but it's a gift from God. But back then, no. And I could go through a list of all the things I maybe wanted. And if I was so, if I was managing my life, then I would have those things, right? And I didn't have those things. So obviously my life was unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I hated God. I'm gay. Don't you understand? I'm gay. I came out in the 70s. God hated me. It was just, it was, I was raised Baptist. It was hopeless. And I, you know, I didn't talk to God. God didn't talk to me. It was good. You know, that's the way I looked at it. It was good. I didn't want to hear his condemnation for just, you know. And now I've had you folks said, find a God of your very own choosing. And I found a God of my very own choosing, a God that loved me. You know, in the last, I have been noted as one of the most, like, very spiritual in this program. I don't know where I get, I'm just working a 12-step program. I, up, I get people call me spiritual. In this last year, I've been blighted with spiritual, in a spiritual desert. And I don't know what that's about. But I, I know there's a God, but I cannot figure it out. And I could tell you two years ago exactly what God was about. God is love. God is all-powerful. God's this. Could pray and spend out, or spend you know, 20, 30 minutes of meditation, completely know what it's about. I wish to God I could go back to that. But I'm growing. This program is about growth. It is about moving forward and onward. But I tell you what, at Carver, I'm sure you got me back in touch with a God where I said, okay, God, whatever. Whatever. That's my prayer of choice. Whatever, God. Just please, whatever. I don't care anymore. I don't care about my business anymore. I don't care about where I stand in the community anymore. I don't care about my car anymore, God. I just need peace and comfort. Please give that to me. And I wish to God, I, and I, I wish I knew what I was praying to. You know, I guess that's what faith is about. And this, I probably said gay one time too many, but I'm going to say it one more time. As a gay person in, this, in these times, there's a lot of people using God against me. And that's the same word I use. God. So my sponsor today was telling me, well, use something else. Use something else. Use, I mean, I'm saying, well, maybe I'll use goddess or universal mind or something like that. And she says, well, you know, God, don't you, just because they use God doesn't mean you have to use God. It's like, yeah, but still. But I got news for you. It still touched me. It's got me, this program's got me in touch with something, whether it's you, whether it's 12 steps. But I know step three. Step three, I know when I turn my will, my life over the care of a power greater than myself, my life gets better. When I go, whatever. And that means I let go of the results. That means, okay, God, I turn my will and my life over the care of you. And by the way, I want to end up like X, Y, and Z. It doesn't work that way. Step four. You know what? You just have, I mean, I just had a clean house. I had a clean house because I had all this garbage from the past. And I, I love the fact you know, right in the fourth step, I don't, don't let them kid you. You take everyone's inventory in your fourth step. That's what you do. You right there and write, you say what so-and-so did, what so-and-so, you, you take everyone's inventory that ever did you wrong. And then you look at your part in it. Oh, I know, I know, I know. But that's what we do. We take their inventory, then we take ours. But you can't take your inventory if you don't take their inventory first, you know. You know, and my, then you do a fifth step. 
And damn it, my fifth step was one of the worst god-awful ones I've ever heard in my life. My, my sponsor time would, did the work. Oh, at the time? I missed the five. Okay. I'll just wrap this up real quick. I love this program. I wish to God I wasn't compulsive reader. I wish to God I didn't have to sit in this meeting right here, right now. But you know what? As my sponsor tell me, tells me all the time, I don't have to like it. I just came here to save my ass. And that's what I'm here for. I get to one more day, save my ass, have a cheerful attitude, and love life. And if you don't have that, keep working the 12-step program. Because that's one of our guarantees. That's our promises, no matter what. Oh, fabulous. This is the best I've heard you in a long time. It does my heart so good to hear you coming out of it. So good. And to finish up, I've got Dodger tickets for uh, July, August 26th, 28th at Dodger Stadium. The LA Group sponsor, and I'm on the uh, treasurer of the board. So please see me for Dodger tickets afterwards. Thanks. Now it's time for the entertainment. So, Lynn, you want to take over? 